The book of Ruth, as I shared last week, is one of my favorite books, as uh, you'll, you'll hear me say often. Um, it's a powerful book of prophecy, and everything in this book, every word is there by design. Now, the challenge with this is when you teach it, what do you leave in and what do you leave out? Because there's a whole lot more than what we could talk about in just a, a couple of weeks. Historically, this book really, everything in this book actually took place. So it's not an allegory, it actually took place. And not, not only that, there's a great deal of practical information in it, but this book specifically, written way back when, is going to tell us a great deal about the future, our future, and certainly the future from the time which it was written. Last week, we started with a verse, and the verse comes from Hosea, and I want to just refresh our memories, and it says, God is speaking in the book of Hosea, and he says, I have also spoken by the prophets, and you have your Old Testament and all the prophets who spoke, and you have what God said is written down. He says, I've multiplied visions, and we have those visions written down by Ezekiel and Zechariah and other places. And then he says, and I've also uh, spoken, or I've also used similitudes, and I want you to underline that word, similitudes, by the ministry of the prophets. Now, a similitude is a word that we're not typically familiar with in our common language, but it just means a word picture. The idea is this. God is telling a story, a story takes place, and it really happened just as a story takes place, but it's actually a picture of something far greater. And so as we get into the book of Ruth, what we find is the story actually took place, but it's a picture of something far greater. Now, as we get into this book, there's a couple of things that we have to become familiar with. First of all, and we talked about this last week, there's the concept in this book and throughout the entire Old Testament and in the book of Revelation, as we'll see, the concept of what is called the kinsman redeemer. Jesus is often referred to as our kinsman redeemer. In the uh, ancient times in Israel, there was this law, the, this, uh, the way that they did things. I put this there in your outline just to refresh your memory. And it says, if a countryman of yours becomes so poor with regards to him as to sell himself to a stranger, kind of a a way of paying off your, your bankruptcy, you might say, he shall have the redemption right after he has been sold. One of his brothers may redeem him. So back in ancient Israel, if you found yourself in the place of bankruptcy and your land was taken, and uh, maybe to pay off your debt, you became an indentured servant to somebody to pay that debt off. By law, if you had a close relative, that close relative could step in as what's called a kinsman redeemer. And by law, they could buy you out of that bad situation and nobody could, could deny them buying you out. So this is going to be a picture of being purchased out of a bad situation. Jesus is our kinsman redeemer. We'll see that as we travel through because that's what this is going to be a picture of, redeeming us out of a bad situation. But they also had another custom, which is very unfamiliar with us um, in, in our very modern Western way of thinking. But, but if, if a woman was married to a man and uh, the man died before she gave birth to a son, they had what they called the Leverite Law. Now, not the Levite Law, the Leverite Law. It's a, it's a, a different word. It's a, it's a custom. But in, in the Old Testament, it says this, and we talked about it last week. It says, when brothers live together and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the deceased shall not be married outside the family to a strange man. Her husband's brother shall go into her and take her to himself as a wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. 
And the idea would be that uh, you, you would take your brother's wife if, if uh, he died, and then uh, she would become your wife, and the first boy that they had would be in the name of your dead brother so that all the inheritance that would be passed on in his family would be passed on to that child. And so that, that'll, that'll uh, be important for our study so that that family could continue on and receive an inheritance. Now, um, pretty strange custom, wouldn't you agree? I've seen my brother's wives, and uh, no way. So anyways, <laughs> isn't it great to be a Gentile? <laughs> so so <laughs> we're going to take that out of the tape. <laughs> yeah, you've seen some of your relatives' wives, too. You know, you know. All right. So something else that's unfamiliar to our Western mind uh, that you will see throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, in our world, a ranking, if you're in the military, your rank is typically worn on your collar or on your shoulder or there on your chest. You, know, you see a, a general and he's got every merit badge since he was a Cub Scout there on his chest, that sort of thing. Well, in the ancient Hebrew world, all of your rank, your family genealogy, all of the information about you would be sewn into the hem of your garment, sometimes referred to as, as um, a skirt. And uh, so as, as you would look at somebody, you would, as, as they approached you, you would look at the hem of their garment and you would be able to tell where they were socially, financially, what their genealogy was. Very much like for those of you who've been in the military, somebody walks in and you start noticing some of the badges, you know where they've been, you know what they've done, and you know what those things mean. So that's, what, that, that's how they did that way back when. So um, you find in, in various places in the Old Testament, for one place in Ezekiel, a verse that would be very strange to us, but God said, there on your outline, says God, he says, I spread my skirt Another way of translating that is the wing, because the wing, as you would walk with your, your robe and it would swing, the, it would create like a, like a wing. So the, the corners of your robe would, would also be translated or considered a wing. And so God said, I spread my wing or my skirt over you to ancient Israel and covered your nakedness. That is, I gave you my authority. I also swore to you and entered into a covenant with you and you became mine, declares the Lord. So when you, you hear something like that, it, it, in our culture, with the way our minds work, it sounds a little risque, but, but in their mindset, it was like you were being covered with somebody's authority. The wing was the corner of the robe, and it represented somebody's authority. You'll remember the story, for those of you who've been around the Bible for some time, David is running from Saul. Saul comes into a cave. David is hiding there, and as Saul is relieving himself, David goes up, and he cuts off the hem of Saul's garment. Remember that story? And David says, I have cut off you know, the tassels, the, 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 the hem of your garment. What he was saying in that culture is, I've just removed your authority. I've taken away your authority, symbolically. And you'll remember in the New Testament that a lady who has this issue for 12 years, and she says, if I can just touch the hem of his, why the hem? Why the hem? Well, because in that day and in that mindset, that's what represented the authority. So we'll talk about as we travel through. Now, last week, you will recall that, that uh, we, as our story began, Naomi and her family leave Israel, and uh, they will head to this country called Moab. And as we looked at this, and I, I wish we could do the whole story again and then move forward, but I'm going to try to catch this up if you weren't here last week. But Naomi, we saw in our last week's story, was a picture of Israel, and you want to write that, you want to write that down. 
And Naomi just means the lovable or my delight or beautiful. And you'll recall that her and her husband and two sons, they head to this country called Moab. Let's put the map of Moab up on the screen. You can see here on the map that uh, from last week we saw that they lived up in this area called Judah, specifically in the town of Bethlehem, and they go outside of Israel to this very, very, very pagan country called Moab. They were hostile to Israel, and uh, they were known as being a very wicked people to the point where God had said about them there in Deuteronomy, these Moabites, uh, a Moabite shall not enter into the congregation of the Lord, even to the 10th generation. Their descendants shall not enter into the assembly of the Lord forever. Well, as Naomi, this, in this good Jewish family, goes into this very pagan place, she has two boys, and they both take Moabite women. This would be uh, shocking to many of the religious people because this would be very unkosher. So far, so good? So, but they do this. And um, one of the wives we found out from last week, her name is Ruth. Now, Ruth, we found out last week, would be a picture of the church. And you want to write that down just by way of reminder. And her name just simply means uh, friend or desirable one, friend or desirable one. Well, as our story continued, uh, Naomi's husband died as well as both of her sons. So Naomi, who represents Israel, finds herself destitute in a foreign land. And after 10 years of being, we might say, exiled in this land, she decides to return to her homeland. And when she goes back, she takes Ruth, her Gentile daughter-in-law, with her back into the land of Israel. And uh, as she comes home, uh, we find that she's previously lost everything. She's lost all of her land. And when she comes home, she realizes that there is a close relative of the family who could step in and be that kinsman redeemer, could buy them out of this situation of which they are destitute and uh, buy back all that they, they lost. And his name was Boaz. And Boaz begins to get to know Ruth, uh, Naomi's daughter-in-law, Ruth, who is a Gentile. And over a period of months, uh, it appears that Boaz is falling in love with Ruth and Ruth is falling in love with Boaz. As we saw last week, Boaz would be a picture of Jesus. And you want to write that down? A picture of Jesus. And his name just means in strength. He's wealthy, he's mighty. And what town does he come from? Bethlehem. Bethlehem, that's important. Comes from Bethlehem. And as a picture of Christ, when Ruth, this Gentile young woman, meets him, the first thing that he does as he introduces himself to her, he offers her, and I put it there in your outline, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread, you want to underline that, and dip it in the wine. The idea is that it's, he, he presents to her the elements of what you and I would call communion. As the story unfolds, we see more and more that he looks a lot like Jesus. He's not Jesus, but he looks like him. Boaz and Ruth take the next few months getting to know one another. Boaz is falling in love with her, and she's falling in love with him. Naomi, the good Jewish mother-in-law, sees all of this happening and gets an idea. We pick it up in Ruth chapter 3, verse 1. And in chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, shall I not seek, and you want to underline the word security, or rest, however your Bible says it for you, that it may be well with you. Now, in that day, that that word, security or rest, however your Bible says it, is an interesting word. I put it there in your outline, manawach, 
If you ever want to speak Hebrew, you want to impress your friends, just put a in any word and they'll believe you. So Manoah, it just means quiet, a settled spot, or figuratively, a home, a home. So what she's saying is, I, I really need to get you a home. I need to get you married. And I see something happening with you and Boaz. Now, now, one of the things that we forget when we read this is that Naomi is the next of kin to Boaz, not Ruth. And so technically, Boaz would be the kinsman redeemer of Naomi, not Ruth. The only way that Boaz could become the kinsman redeemer of Ruth and not Naomi is if Naomi relinquishes her right to that for Boaz to become the kinsman redeemer of Ruth and then ultimately Naomi. Um, and, and Naomi knows this because Naomi knows that even if Boaz takes Naomi to be his wife, she's getting up in years. She's not going to have babies, so there's not going to be any, any inheritance to be passed on. So she says, well, how about I relinquish that and I get you in that place and so that this inheritance can be passed on. Well, verse 2, she says, um, she says, now Boaz, our kinsman, by the way, that word kinsman uh, means redeemer in the original language. If you have a literal translation, it'll, it'll translate it that way. Our kinsman with whose maid you were, behold, he winnows barley at the threshing floor tonight. So Naomi's concocting this plan. She knows that Boaz is going to be at the threshing floor on this night. And you would come, if you were a landowner, uh, a field owner, you would have, you'd grow your crops. And then at the end of the season, you would then harvest those. You'd have your mound of whatever it is that you grew, barley or wheat. And, And after that was threshed or separated as it would be for barley and wheat, You'd have this big, massive end of the harvest party. And then that night, before you took everything to market, you would sleep there to make sure that everything that you worked for didn't walk away overnight. That makes sense? So she knows that he's going to be there that night. Verse 3, it says, she says, and, and by the way, very quickly, I can't go into it. We just don't have time. But she's going to tell, she's going to tell Ruth, this is how you meet your kinsman redeemer. She says, wash yourself anoint yourself and put on your best clothes or change your clothes as some of your Bibles might say and go down to the threshing floor but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. Now, the the part that I want to talk about, um, she knows that there's going to be a party there. At the end of the party, he's going to come sleep by his mound of, uh, of his crop. And so Naomi tells Ruth, Ruth, you need to change your clothes. You need to change your clothes. Ruth at this point would be wearing the clothes of a widow. And so not, not as a, a young woman who would be eligible for marriage, but as a, a woman who's lost her husband. Naomi says it's time for you to change what you've been wearing. And it may be when, you, when we, we look at this and we realize Boaz has been falling in love with Ruth, it may have been that Boaz would have loved to have gotten to know Naomi more sooner, but if she's wearing her clothes that a widow would wear in that day, then it would be inappropriate to go in. You know, in in our day, it used to be that when a a woman lost a husband, she would wear black for a certain period of time. And uh, remember that. I I don't know that that that, that custom is really practiced today. I will tell you this. I did go to a funeral one time, and um, a woman lost a husband, and she wore a black miniskirt to the funeral which I thought was incredible multitasking because apparently she was combining her deep mourning uh, with her newfound availability, conquering two things at once. So I don't know what you do with that, but uh, 
things, as, things that pastors think about. So, so the idea is go to that, go, go to the threshing floor tonight, and tonight you're going to stake your claim on Boaz. But no matter how much Boaz would have loved Ruth, she's wearing the morning, the, the morning clothes, so it's going to be her move. And uh, he was a close relative of Naomi, not Ruth. And so it would be inappropriate. It would be appropriate for him to go to Naomi, but not necessarily appropriate for him to go to Ruth. Verse 4, it says, And it shall be that when he lies down, you shall notice the place where he lies, and you shall go and uncover his feet and lie down. The idea is you're going to take the hem of his garment, you're going to pull it over yourself. It sounds indecent in our culture, but that's not really what's going on. Then he will tell you what you should do. He will tell you what you should do. Um, so find the place where he's going to be sleeping. Go to him privately, verse six or verse five. It says, so she said to her, all that you say, I will do. That's Ruth's way of saying, I really want to do this. I like this guy. I would love to be his wife. And so however you tell me to make this happen, I'm going to do it. Verse six, so she went down to the threshing floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law had commanded her. Again, the threshing floor was the place where they, they threshed the wheat and then they stored it that night and, and it would go to market the next day. When Boaz had eaten and drunk, and his heart was merry. Um, his heart was merry not because he drank a great deal of grape juice. Going on? When Boaz had... By the way, who is it in the New Testament said, I come eating and drinking? You know, it's an interesting thing that there's a whole culture in Christianity that believes that every time the Bible talks about drinking or wine, that it means grape juice. Um, if you look at the time of year that this was, any grape juice that they would have had would have been at least a year old. Um, and if you've ever lived in a culture with no refrigeration and you've kept grape juice for a year, it's no longer grape juice. It's apparently much better. So um, <laughs> now when Moaz, Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain and she came secretly and uncovered his feet and lay down. And it happened, or she came secretly, um, very, very quickly when it says came secretly. Remember, this is 3,000 years ago. There's no lights. There's no electricity. So she needs to watch to make sure that she knows the exact place that he lies down because you don't want to lie down at the feet of the wrong guy. That could be very awkward. And so she's got to watch, but there's a certain level of privacy because you're watching your mound, which is considerable. Anybody else is going to be a significant distance away. So there is a level of privacy there. Well, verse 8, it says, And it happened in the middle of the night that the man was startled, and he bent forward. And uh, behold, a woman was lying at his feet. And he said, Well, who are you? And she said, I am Ruth, your maid, underline this, so spread your covering over your maid, for you are a close relative. You are a close relative. You can translate this verse a couple of different ways from the King James. It translates it like this. It says, take your maidservant under your wing, for you are a close relative. Now, the average person reading this would think that she's asking him for a one-night stand, and that's not what's going on. It's actually worse. She's asking him to, uh, what she's saying to him is, I'm here. You're a close relative. If you want, you can marry me. And if you will cover me with your authority, I want you to know that I, I would like to see that happen. So she's asking him, would you, would you want to marry me? It's at this point where Boaz would know that Naomi, his next of kin, would have relinquished 
her claim on him as the kinsman redeemer and passing that on to the next available person into the family, which is Ruth. Because technically, Boaz would be the kinsman redeemer of Naomi, not Ruth. Um, Naomi would have been the first in line, but remember that she's too old to have children and the goal is to have an inheritance that's passed on. So no matter how much Boaz may have loved Ruth, she wasn't the first in line. So the only way for this to happen is it's going to have to be Ruth taking the first step. That, that he loves her, but it's going to be her move. She's going to have to let him know, I want to be your, your wife. So to buy back uh, Ruth and out of the situation, she's going to have to buy back everything that Naomi owns. And we'll talk about that as we, as we travel through. She says, you are a close relative. You are a kinsman redeemer. Now, he responds to this in verse 10. Then he said, may you be blessed of the Lord, my daughter. You have shown your kindness to be better than the first by not going after younger men, whether poor or rich, which is Hebrew poetry for, oh yeah. So, um, (laughs) play ball. (laughs) Doesn't that sound kind of flowery? That's not what he's thinking. Okay, let's go on. Um, Verse 11, it says, Now, my daughter, do not fear, for I will do for you. Please underline this, whatever you ask. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it for you. She's going to be a picture of who? The church. Boaz is going to be a picture of who? And the first thing that he says to her is the the very same thing that Jesus says to the church. Whatever you ask whatever you want, whatever you want. Now, my daughter, do not fear. I would do for you whatever you ask. For all my, all my people in the city know that you are a woman of excellence. Now, it is true. I am a close relative. Uh, literally, that word is redeemer. However, there is a relative closer than I. Remain this night. You gotta have a little intrigue in the story. Remain this night, and when morning comes, if he will redeem. Does your Bible say redeem? Yes. Underline redeem. If he will redeem you, good. Let him redeem you. But if he does not redeem you, good. Let, uh, if he does not redeem you, then I will redeem you. As the Lord lives, lie down until morning. Now, it doesn't say this, but I'm willing to read into the text a little bit. And I'm going to suggest that although he tells her to lay down till the morning, I don't think he falls back asleep. I think his mind is just racing. So he's going to lose a little sleep that night. Well, verse 15, it says, and he said, they get up, you know, very early in the morning, give me a cloak, give me the cloak that is on you and hold it. And she held out, she held it and and he measured, and I want you to underline six measures of barley and laid it on her. And she went into the city. When she came to her mother-in-law, did I miss a... uh, Verse 14, I'm sorry. So she laid at his feet until morning. Now just understand, she doesn't lay beside him. She lays at his feet till morning. And he rose before one, she rose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. Verse 15, he said, give me the cloak that is on you and hold it. And she held it and he measured six measures, six measures. You wanna underline that. And uh, she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did it go, my daughter? You've been out all night. And she told her all that the man had done for her. And she said, 
these six measures, underline that, six measures of barley he gave to me. For he said, do not go to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Do not go to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Now, I love this because uh, there's something in this. You notice uh, he says, take this barley to your mother-in-law. Take this to your mother-in-law. Now, we, we don't know exactly what a measure is, but apparently, whatever it is, there's six of them. And, and Ruth knows it, Naomi knows it, and uh, Boaz knows it. So the question is, why six? Why not four? Why not seven? Why not eight? Why not nine? Why six? Well, interesting, uh, in this, to understand this, you have to think Jewish for a couple of moments. And um, Boaz says, take this to your mother-in-law. Don't go to her empty-handed. The mother-in-law is Jewish. Ruth is a Gentile. And what we're going to find is that in sending six measures to the Jewish mother-in-law, this is actually a coded message from Boaz to Ruth's mother-in-law because she sees the six measures and she gets it right away. We find that in verse 18. In verse 18, it says, Then she said, Wait, my daughter, until you know as the matter turns out. For the man will not, what's that word? Rest. Underline that. He will not rest until he has settled the, he has settled the, uh, it has settled, he settled it today. Now that's interesting. Um, she looks at the six measures and she goes, Aha, here's the deal. He won't rest until it's settled. You have to think Jewish, and this is all through the the entire Old Testament. Um, He's going to be working. Boaz is a picture of Jesus in our story. He's not Jesus, but he's a picture. In six days, God worked doing what? Creating, creating. Six days he labored. But on the seventh day, he, when she gets the six measures, she knows that this is a coded message. You've got six, I'm working but I want to get to rest. And she gets it. She gets it being a good Jewish mother-in-law. Do you find that interesting? And you see this throughout the entire Bible. You know, why not five? Why not? Because it's a coded message to her. Well, chapter four, verse one, it says, now Boaz came up to the gate and sat down there and behold the close relative. And if you have a study Bible and you look in the margin, it'll say the redeemer, the redeemer of whom Boaz spoke was passing by, and he said, turn aside, friend, and sit down. And, and, and he, sat, he turned aside, and he sat down. Um, uh, the, the wording there, as, as, it, uh, as he speaks to this man, is always, is always uh, redeemer. You're the, you're the redeemer. And so Boaz is sitting in the gate. Now, in ancient Israel, in ancient Middle East, the gate was the place where you would conduct business. It was like the modern-day city hall. And uh, in verse 2, it says he took... 10 men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. Now that's interesting because something's going to happen and he wants 10 witnesses. Now, if you've been around in the Bible for any length of time, you'll know that in ancient Israel and the law, it says by the mouth of two or three witnesses, a matter may be confirmed. How many of you have ever heard that? Mouth of two or three, only two or three witnesses, but he wants 10 witnesses. What does 10 remind you of in the Old Testament? The commandments, the law. 
And so this is going to be the witness. And it's interesting that he chooses 10, not nine or seven or whatever, but 10. I don't want to go too far with that, but I do find that very interesting. So maybe that represents something even greater. Verse three, it says, and he said to the closest relative, literally, if you, uh, it, it, that word is redeemer in the, in the original language. Naomi has come back from the land of Moab. And my Bible says it has to sell the piece of land which belonged to our brother Elimelech. The Hebrew is, is very nimble. Um, I like how the King James says it, New King James, it says, then he said to the close relative there in your outline, Naomi has come back from the country of Moab, sold the piece of land which belonged to our brother Elimelech. When they left all those years ago, when the family left, apparently it was due to the fact that they had lost everything. They had sold all of their property. And so uh, they need a kinsman redeemer to come and buy back all of the land that they had lost. And so a, a kinsman redeemer in this sense needed to be, first of all, a close relative. They had to have the ability to buy it all back. And then thirdly, they had to be willing to do that. They had to be willing to do that. So in verse four, it goes on. He says, so he's speaking to this, this redeemer, this close relative. And he says, so I thought to inform you saying, buy it before those who are sitting here and before the elders of my people. And if you redeem it, if you will redeem it, redeem it. But if not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one but you to redeem it, and I am after you. And he said, I'll redeem it. I'll redeem it. This close relative says, yes, I'll I'll buy that back. Now, interesting, he says, I I will buy this back, and uh, I'll, I'll pay the price to redeem all of this, because this close redeemer, who's not Boaz, realizes that Naomi is too old to have children. And so even if he were to take Naomi as his wife, he knows that there's not going to be a baby that comes from that marriage. And so ultimately, since there's not going to be any perpetuation of that genealogy, he's going to be able to ultimately give that land to his own children, to his own children. And so he says, sure, I'll buy it. Um, I think at this point, Boaz's heart sinks just a little bit But then in verse 5, Boaz has a plan, and he says this. And Boaz said, on the day that you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also acquire Ruth the Moabitess, underline that, Moabitess, the widow of the deceased in order to raise up the name of the deceased in his inheritance, the deceased on his inheritance. So Boaz says, okay, go ahead and redeem it, but here's what you need to know. Something else comes with this property. Naomi is too old to have children, but there is another girl in the family that's not too old, and she is Ruth. And did you notice that um, Boaz calls her the Moabitess? Um, To a good Jewish person, you're not really looking to marry a despised Moabitess. Make sense? So he just says, yeah, I'm just putting out this, you know, you know those despised people, you've got to marry one of those. Okay, so, um, and so, which causes this redeemer to think about it. And then in verse six, the close relative said, you know what? I cannot redeem it, underline that, for myself, because I would jeopardize my own inheritance. Redeem it for yourself, that you may have, that you may have the right of redemption for I cannot redeem it. This is all about redemption and buying back. 
So, so why would he say, I'm not, I'm not going to buy it back? First of all, you have Naomi over here and uh, all the property that she lost, which was apparently a, a large sum. You have this man over here who's the close relative and he already has some children. He has a great deal of money and he wants to see his children take his inheritance. If he takes the bulk of the cash that he has and he goes over here and he redeems this land over here, he's taking that away from his children's inheritance because if he gets Ruth and she becomes pregnant, all that money that he spent doesn't come back to his family. It just perpetuates her family. So his family doesn't benefit. So he doesn't want to lose the inheritance that he's already promised to his children. So he says, I'm going to, I'm going to pass on that. Does that make sense? Okay. So, um, Next verse is uh, verse seven. So verse seven, it says, now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning the redemption and the exchange of land, a land. Uh, to confirm any matter, a man removed his sandal and gave it to another. And this was the manner of est- attestation in Israel. The idea is the way that you passed on the, uh, the deal is that you would take off your sandal and you would hand it to the person uh, that you're passing the deal off to and they would exchange. And it just as you walked around, everybody would know that you passed on the deal. I don't want you to do that. So, but uh, that's, that was their thing. So verse, verse eight and nine, it says, so the closest relative said to Boaz, buy, underline, buy it for yourself. And he removed his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses today, I have bought bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech, which was Naomi's first husband, and all that belonged to Chilion and Malon, which were were her two sons, which was her two sons. Now, there on your outline, I've put it from the King James, and uh, Boaz just says, I have bought all that was Elimelech's, all of his land I have purchased, and all that was Chilion and Malon's of the hand of Naomi. I bought it all back for her, and uh, all that was formerly owned will now come back to her. Verse 10. Moreover, I have acquired. How many of your Bibles say I have purchased? Purchased, good. You want to underline that. I have purchased or acquired, however your Bible says it. I have purchased or acquired Ruth the Moabitess the widow of Malon to be my wife in order to raise up the name of the deceased on his inheritance so that the name of the deceased will not be cut off from his brothers or from the court of his birthplace. You are witnesses today. Um, There on your outline, he says, from the King James, he says, moreover, Ruth, Ruth is going to be a picture of who? The church. He says, I have, moreover, Ruth, the Moabitess, the wife of Malon, I have, and what's that word? Purchased, there in your outline, to be my wife. Paul would say about our kinsman redeemer, he would say, you have been bought with the price. You have been purchased with the price. Our whole salvation has to do with Jesus purchasing what we might say a Gentile bride, predominantly, not exclusively. The word purchase there on your outline just means to procure especially by purchase. There's a transaction that takes place. He had to purchase them out of this very bad situation of being destitute. One would be purchased, they would receive the land. 
one would be purchased and they would become the wife of Boaz. And it's two, two women involved, both will be blessed. Verse 11, all the people who were in the court and the elders said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, both whom built the house of Israel, and may you achieve wealth in Ephrathah and become, underline this, famous in Bethlehem. Famous in Bethlehem. What they pronounce to Boaz is, Boaz, because you're redeeming this woman, may you become famous in Bethlehem. Who else becomes famous in Bethlehem as he redeems us? He's from Bethlehem. He would also, interesting, Bethlehem means house of breath, house of bread, Bethlehem, house of bread. The one who would become famous in Bethlehem would later be called the bread of life. Now, there is something interesting here, if I haven't totally lost you yet, um, that many Bible scholars believe that when Mary goes to Bethlehem to give birth to our kinsman redeemer, that as she is giving birth to Jesus, the shepherds are out in the field by night. Remember that story? And many believe that they, the shepherds, a thousand years after this event takes place, are out in the fields that originally were owned by Boaz, because that's where, where, where it all took place. So you can't prove it, but it, it does seem to make sense. Boaz is the kinsman redeemer, as is Jesus is the kinsman redeemer of us. Why would Boaz, a very religious, uh, very righteous man, consider taking a Moabitess as his wife? Well, interesting, when you look at the genealogy, here's what you find out about Boaz and his mom. Boaz's mom, it turns out, you can find in Matthew chapter 1, it says, Salmon was the father of who? By who? What was Rahab's occupation? Prostitution back in Jericho. So he comes from a family where he's able to see God has a way of doing something. By the way, there's a whole sermon there that Boaz comes from a a mother who gives birth to him who began as a prostitute. There's a whole sermon in that somewhere for you prophecy buffs. But Boaz's act of redemption will be to buy a Gentile bride. It's a picture of Jesus purchasing a predominantly Gentile church for himself. In that purchase, as we get into the book of Revelation, we'll find that as he purchases his Gentile bride, he will ultimately give the land back to Naomi. Did Israel move back into its homeland a few decades ago? Only country that's ever existed outside of its homeland for 2,000 years. As that marriage becomes closer, they will receive that land. We'll talk about that when we get into the book of Revelation. Um, again, this doesn't mean that Boaz is Jesus, but he's a picture. Boaz could have loved Ruth with all of his heart, but it was always for Ruth to make the first move. You see, in the same way it says in the book of Revelation, as we'll see in chapter 3, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come, I will come into him and dine with him, and he with me. Here's what he's saying. It's not that 
Jesus doesn't love us so much, but it's just our move. It's our move. We have to take that first step. If you accept that Boaz is a picture of Jesus, a kinsman redeemer, um, then in order for Ruth, the Gentile bride, to actually meet Boaz before that happens, Naomi has to be exiled from her land for a very long period of time. Was Israel exiled from its land for a very long period of time? So, um, so she had to be exiled. Then we find that Ruth, the Gentile bride, uh, never replaces Naomi, never replaces Naomi. Both will be blessed, but both will be separate. Naomi will be blessed having all of her land returned when Ruth marries Boaz. There's a time that that is talked about in the book of Revelation. The marriage takes place after Naomi comes back into her homeland. Ruth, the Gentile, learns a great deal about Boaz from her Jewish mother-in-law. Much of what we learn about Jesus comes from our knowledge of the Old Testament. What's interesting in the story, it's not recorded anywhere in this story that Naomi, who would be a picture of Israel, um, will meet Boaz, even though she knows about him, but she doesn't meet him in the story until Boaz marries Ruth. And so at a later time, that will take place. In our story, Naomi knows about Boaz, um, but, but again, that doesn't actually encounter him in the story until later on at that, at that marriage. Do you find that interesting? Have I just totally lost you completely? Okay. Uh, some of you are going, yeah, you lost me like in the introduction. So verse 12, let's fly through the last few verses and we will be done. Moreover, may your house be like the house of Perez, whom underlined Tamar bore to Judah. By the way, another kinsman redeemer, Tamar and Judah. It sounds like a blessing. Tamar is this very bizarre story in Genesis 38. You need to read it and come back and go, what in the world? Through the offspring which the Lord give you through this young woman. Verse 13, so Boaz took Ruth. She became his wife. He went into her and the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. And the women said to Naomi, blessed is the Lord who has not left you without a redeemer today and may his name become famous in Israel. And his name has become famous in Israel and it will. May he also be to you a restorer of life and a sustainer of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you. And if Ruth is a picture of the church, then the church is to love the mother-in-law. Who loves you is better better to you than seven sons and has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him in her lap and became his nurse. Nurse in the sense she's a nanny. The neighbor women gave him the name saying, a son has been born to Naomi and they named him Obed, Obed. Obed is the result of Ruth and Boaz. Obed, Obed just simply means there on your outline, worshiper, worshiper, worshiping or serving. The only result of Ruth and Boaz getting married can just be worship and serving. It's the the, the very natural result. Obed, he is the father of Jesse and the father of David. And you can read to the end and uh, see how it, it pans out.
Interesting? Okay. Well, this is going to be absolutely essential when we jump into the book of Revelation. Hopefully I haven't overwhelmed you. We are way out of time. I'm so sorry. Let's go ahead and close in prayer. Jesus, thank you for your word and the pictures that you have put in here and all the allusions and all the things that we got to talk about and all of the things, Lord, that we didn't get to talk about, which continue to make the picture even more and more clear. I pray your blessing on each and every person in this congregation. Lord, grow us in your word, grow us in your spirit. Help us to be mindful of the time in which you and I, the time in which we live, that you've called us to be, and enlighten this time and place where you've called us to be. Be with every person until we meet again. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, and all God's people said, amen. God bless you guys. We'll see you next time.